Today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. Listen, when adversity strikes, are we not sensitive enough to the conviction of the Holy Spirit? Say, okay, Lord, you got my attention. What is it that you're wanting to show me? Is this correction? Are you correcting me? Are you chastising me? Are you disciplining me? Listen, I want to learn my lesson. Because this hurts, this spanking hurts really bad. Show me what it is, Lord. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Barag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Job. Job's friends insisted that his failure to admit his sin was why God punished him. Pastor J.D. teaches us that Job responded by asking them why he would continue suffering if admitting his sin was all that was needed to end it. Job's friends looked to God as one who punished the bad but not the good. We learn today the dangers of such thinking. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now, here's Pastor J.D. in Job chapter 19 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. All right, let's jump in. Uh, chapter 19, verse 1. Um, Job now is continuing uh, defending himself against these three so-called friends. And uh, he maintains his innocence. They have accused him of everything under the sun and then some. They've called him just about every name in the book. And it's going to get worse, if you can imagine that. So Job now is going to respond in chapter 19. And verse 1, it says, Then Job answered and said, How long will you torment my soul and break me in pieces with words? These ten times you have reproached me. You are not ashamed that you have wronged me. And if, verse 4, indeed I have erred, my error remains with me. If indeed you exalt yourselves against me, and they had, and plead my disgrace against me, know then that God has wronged me. That's quite a, quite a claim. And has surrounded me with his net. He's echoing something he said prior. If I cry, verse 7, out concerning wrong, I am not heard. You're not listening to anything I say. If I cry aloud, there is no justice. He has fenced up my way so that I cannot pass. And he has set darkness in my paths. He has stripped me of my glory and taken the crown from my head. He breaks me down on every side and I am gone. My hope, he has uprooted like a tree. It's quite the imagery. He has also kindled his wrath against me and he counts me as one of his enemies. Now, in order to, don't be too hard on Job, okay? He has completely given himself over to despair. He has convinced himself in this unthinkable and unspeakable suffering that he's experiencing. He has actually convinced himself that God is against him. And certainly in all fairness, it would appear that that's the case. 
I mean, my goodness, he sits here on this ash heap, in this rubbish heap, scraping with sharp objects, these boils that are covering him from head to toe. And if this weren't bad enough, he has these three, three so-called friends that are adding insult to injury, as it were, making matters infinitely worse. And God seems to be allowing it. In fact, he even said as much. It seems that God is even, he's so against me that he's even allowing you to do this to me. Here he says, you're tormenting me, and it seems to be that God is giving you permission to do this. Truly, God is against me. That's what he really believes, and nothing could be further from the truth. He says, verse 12, his troops come together and build up their road against me. They encamp all around my tent. He has removed my brother's far from me, and my acquaintances are completely estranged from me. My relatives have failed, verse 14, and my close friends have forgotten me. Those who dwell in my house and my maidservants count me as a stranger. I am an alien in their sight. I call my servant, but he gives no answer. I beg him with my mouth. My my breath is offensive to my wife. Verse 17 uh, should be uh, something that every husband in the morning uh, says. And I am repulsive to the children of my own body. Now this is sort of uh, confusing in a way because his children are dead. All ten of them. Seven sons, three daughters. So who is he referring to? Well, some suggests that he may have had other children. One commentator went as far as suggesting that he's referring to his children beyond death, that even in the next life, he will be repulsive to them to uh, them even then. <laughs> That's how bad it is, if you can imagine. Even young children despise me. I arise and they speak against me. All my close friends abhor me. And those whom I love have turned against me. And then he says something very interesting in verse 20. He says, my bone clings to my skin and to my flesh. You can imagine. I mean, he has no appetite. I'm sure that he has lost a lot of weight and he just looks hideous. I mean, he is so thin now. And clearly enough time has passed for this to come to pass that his you can see his bones through his uh, skin. And then he says this, and I have escaped by the skin of my teeth. Now this is really interesting because for a couple reasons, one of which is we have made an idiom out of this, right? I escape by the skin of my teeth. The next time you hear somebody say that, say, wow, you know the Bible, because that's right out of the book of Job. Take him right here, chapter 19, verse 20. Uh, escape by the skin of my teeth. Now, beyond that, there's another reason this is interesting, uh, and it has to do with what some believe was the only thing left that Job had that had not been covered with boils or affected. 
And one thought is, and I, this is really uh, intriguing to me. So stay with me on this. So in other words, the only thing, he, he still has the skin on his teeth. Okay, why? In other words, he, he, he's still able to talk, right? Obviously, because he's having this dialogue with these so-called friends. So he's still able to talk. His mouth and his ability to speak have not been affected. The skin on his teeth have escaped this torture, this, this horrific state that he's in. In other words, for some reason, God deemed fit to spare the skin of his teeth and his mouth and his ability to speak. Why do you think that is? Oh, interesting. Interesting thought. Here's the thought, and I think there's some creed to it and some merit to it. Satan did not, he could have, but he didn't. Satan did not do anything to any area in his mouth or his ability to speak. You want to know why? Because he's trying to get him to curse God. Remember? And that's why he let him have (laughs) the skin of his teeth and with it the ability to speak. And he makes reference to it. The only thing that has escaped this horrific thing (laughs) is the skin of my teeth, and my ability to speak. Because Satan could have just as easily, you know, allowed something to happen where, I mean, my goodness, his his whole body from head to toe, but Satan wouldn't touch his mouth, his teeth, and his, his tongue. There's no boils on his tongue. If there was, how's he going to curse God, which is the whole thing. That was the whole, that was the whole bet, so to speak, at the very beginning. That's what, how this whole thing started. So he spared that, that the skin of his teeth escaped because Satan wanted him to have the ability to be able to curse God. He'll never do it. He'll never do it. Very interesting. Verse 21, have pity on me, have pity on me, oh you my friends. For the hand of God has struck me. Why do you persecute me as God does? And are not satisfied with my flesh? You, you're after a pound of flesh, as we would say, and, and you're still not satisfied. I've, you've, you've taken more than a pound of flesh. Oh, verse 23, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Hey, Job, they are right here. We're reading them all these generations later. (laughs) That they were engraved on a rock with an iron pen and lead forever. Interesting. And then verse 25, even more interesting. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and Redeemer is capitalized, and rightfully so. And he shall stand at last on the earth. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God. I love this, I love this, I love this. Oh, Job. Wow, Job. 
How cool is this? <laughs> you know, I, I don't know what's going on. This makes absolutely no sense. God is against me. He has smitten me. He's allowing you to torture me. But here's what I do know. I don't know about this, but here's what I do know. That when this is all said and done, and my flesh fails, I'm going to see God. I have a Redeemer, and my Redeemer lives. How appropriate on this Thursday night before Resurrection Sunday. My Redeemer lives. He lives. He lives. Verse 27, Whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. How my heart yearns within me. If you should say, how shall we persecute him? Since the root of the matter is found in me. <laughs> I like this. Verse 29. Be afraid of the sword for yourselves. For wrath brings the punishment of the sword that you may know there is a judgment. I would submit to you that this is exactly what they fear the most. You have to understand, they are absolutely terrified of what's happened to Job. Why? Because if their theology is incorrect, and it is, and good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people, which is why they're insisting with tenacity that Job has some unconfessed secret sin. And this is why God is doing this to him. See, that has to be true or else this could happen to them. And that's what they fear the most. And Job, <laughs> he hasn't lost his mind yet. He's lost everything else, but he hasn't lost his mind, and he uh, has the presence of mind to remind them, oh, <laughs> um, you're going to have to give an account for every word that you've spoken. And by the way, when we get to, I want to say it's about chapter, well, it's in the late 30s, early uh, chapters in the 40s, when God does have the final word. And, and God is going to have a very scathing rebuke for these men. He's going to have some words for Job too, but the harshest rebuke uh, and judgment is going to be on these three so-called friends. All right, a couple thoughts. You know, I, uh, a couple weeks ago, we, we stopped at chapter 18, and I, I wanted to try to do chapter 19, but there was so much in this chapter, and I thought, you know, I don't want to rush through it, uh, we'll start with chapter 19. I am so glad I did because the more I got into this chapter, the more I found in this chapter. And I just have a couple thoughts that I want to uh, share on this as Job continues to defend himself against these attacks, which seem to be as merciless as they are endless from these miserable comforters, as he calls them, uh, earlier. First, I want to address the question that we had actually looked at prior concerning why it is that we even have chapters like this in our Bibles. In other words, why did God deem it necessary to include this? I mean, this is, this is gnarly, isn't it? This lengthy back and forth 
the the accusations, Job defending himself, maintaining his innocence, which he'll do to the end, and and <laughs> rightfully so. There's there's one I forget what chapter it was that we looked at, but it, it's as if Job is saying to them, "Listen, you guys, think about this, okay? Let's let, be reasonable here. Don't you think that if I had unconfessed sin, I would have repented by now? Are you kidding me? Look at me." They couldn't even look at him. He was so hideous and disgusting to even look at. And he even says to them, look me in the eye. You can't even look at me. Don't you think, I mean, wouldn't it stand the reason, you guys, that if I did have some unconfessed sin, and, and here you are telling me that all I got to do is confess it, and all of this ends? Are you kidding me? I, I would have ended this in chapter 4. Or chapter 3, I would have tried to end it in chapter 1 if I could have. Are you kidding me? And and he's pleading with them. And he's even pleading with God. What have I done? Show me that I might repent. Listen, when adversity strikes, are we not sensitive enough to the conviction of the Holy Spirit? Say, okay, Lord, you got my attention. What is it that you're wanting to show me? Is this correction? Are you correcting me? Are you chastising me? Are you disciplining me? Listen, I want to learn my lesson. Because this hurts. This spanking hurts really bad. Show me what it is, Lord. And and certainly Job, I mean, just stand to reason that Job would have repented. Were there some sin? Just to bring even some relief. Even if it didn't bring an end to it, just to bring some relief. If anything, to his soul. Forget about his physical condition. We're going to talk about that more in a little bit. But the question is, why do we, why did God deem it necessary for us to have this graphic detail and this account of them going back and forth seemingly endlessly. I mean, this is going to go on for several more chapters. Well, there are several reasons, I believe, but I want to briefly talk about one that to me is a prevalent problem in the church today. And it's one of the reasons I believe we have this. And what I'm speaking of is how it is that in the church today, there's no love. The way that we treat other Christians, there's no love, there's no compassion. Think about this. Adversity strikes somebody. What's your first thought? Ah. Uh, yeah, God, God's disciplining them. There must be some sin in their life. No, come on. Am I right? Is that not the first? And and, and then here's here's what we do. Uh, we start talking about them. Behind, Did you hear? What? Oh, we need to pray for so and so. What happened? Oh, where's the love? What did Jesus say? You know how they're going to know that you're my disciples? 
It's going to be by your love one for another. The way you treat one another. I think of the Corinthian church. You know that some of them were actually dying. They were getting sick physically, becoming very ill physically. Some of them were dying prematurely. You know why? Because of the way they were mistreating their brothers and sisters at the communion table. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It's one of the most disturbing chapters in all of the pages of Holy Writ. And it all boils down to how Christians treat each other. This is a serious problem. I have seen it. I'm talking about the mainland. Never use examples here. (laughs) Only on the mainland. I have seen lives destroyed because of this. No love. No compassion. D.L. Moody said it this way. The church has become very jealous about men being unsound in the faith. Oh, we're so quick, aren't we, when it comes to the doctrinal? We're all doctrinal police. So quick to point out the error. If a man becomes unsound in the faith, they draw their ecclesiastical swords and cut at him but he may be ever so unsound in love. And they don't say anything. 1 Corinthians 13. Two chapters later. By the way, we call it the love chapter. Oh, we read it ever so beautifully and eloquently and magnificently at weddings. Love is, love is, love is. Oh, how touching. You know why? The Apostle Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write that famous love chapter. Because these Corinthians, these carnal Corinthians, had no clue what love is. You you think you know what love is? Shit, that's not love. This is what love is. And that's why we have the love chapter. You, th- you think you're so loving because you're accepting of everyone. Oh, come in. Come on. Oh, you're uh, having a sexually immoral relationship with your stepmother. Come on, we'll love on you. That's not love. You know what love is? It's to kick him out of the church and give him over to the destruction of his flesh by Satan. If you really love him, you'll confront him. You don't love him. You love yourself. That's not love. This is what love is. Oh, by the way, the second epistle to the Corinthian church, uh, he repents. You really care? That, that's not love. This is what love is. You have no idea what love is. Job's life shifted radically and quickly from prosperity to despair giving him every reason to complain and turn away from God. Yet Job kept his focus on his Creator, telling us in chapter 1, verse 21, that the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's not easy to praise the Lord when everything we know falls apart. But as we'll continue to learn from Job, God has a much better and greater plan than we can even comprehend. God will bring us through every trial and tragedy we face and is our ultimate source of comfort and strength. Have you discovered the powerful love of God in your life? 
If you'd like to know more about this relationship, we have a great guide for you at our website, inspiritandtruthradio.com. Just click on the New Believers link at the top of the page. We'd also like to encourage you to find a church family, one that follows God with all their hearts and live by His Word, and we'll provide you with support as you walk this journey of faith. If you're in the area, why not join us at Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe? We meet every Sunday at 8.30 and 10.45 a.m., and again on Thursdays at 7 p.m. for a time of fellowship, worship, and studying the Bible. We'd love to have you join us. You can find location information through our website. That address again is inspiritandtruthradio.com. Sadly, that's all the time we have for today, but we want to thank you for listening. Be sure to join Pastor J.D. next time as he continues teaching verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the book of Job, right here on In Spirit and Truth.